Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Bendigo is a country city located pretty much right in the middle of Victoria, and it's home to the Bendigo Easter Festival, Australia's longest continually running cultural festival, and for the town, its biggest event of the year. Held over three days on the Easter long weekend and attracting tens of thousands of people, it contains a multitude of different activities from the good old Easter egg hunts to the crafts markets and a fun run with demonstrations from the state emergency services and the country fire authority and of course the cultural displays in the forms of dance, song and storytelling performed by people from all walks of life with ties to countries from all across the globe. But the highlight of the festival the moment everyone awaits with joyous excitement to see is the dragons. Of all places, no one would think of Bendigo to be the town that would boast both the world's oldest and the world's longest imperial dragons, an imperial dragon being a five-clawed dragon. There are two different dragons of very extreme importance that have a long historical connection to this town. Now, the Chinese came to Bendigo for the same reason a lot of people first came to Bendigo. Gold. In fact, the Chinese name for Bendigo is Daigamsen, which means Big Gold Mountain. Like other gold fields around the country and the world, Bendigo was a bubbling mix of a whole slew of different cultures and people who were all hell-bent on getting the same thing, digging up the land and making their fortune. Some did, but a lot didn't. And, like all those other gold fields, the Chinese community of Bendigo faced extreme racial prejudice, which included being ostracised to the outskirts of town, having mining licences withheld to prevent from mining on good land and instead being regulated to the tougher, sparser digs, and of course the good old you-can't-come-into-this-pub-you-can't-come-into-this-shop routine. Socially enforced segregation is just as effective as legally enforced segregation. However, by the mid-1850s, 20% of Bendigo's population was Chinese, and attitudes had openly softened and become more accepting. Compared to some other places around the country, it was pretty benign, to the point where a lot of them actually chose to stay even when the mining dried up. To this day, Bendigo has some of the oldest and most unique parts of Chinese-Australian heritage, including our oldest Joss House temple, dated from the mid-1860s, which has been open and active for over 150 years. In 1871, with the gold rush having faded away and Bendigo's population shrinking, a plan was formulated to give the waning town a boost, as well as finding a way to raise funds for the new Sandhurst Benevolent Asylum and Hospital, which they were planning to build. It was then that the idea of a festival celebrating the various cultures of the region was suggested and that it should be held around Easter to coincide with the already established holiday break. And considering that this event was supposed to be focused on a cultural uh, aspects of the town, a request was made to the Bendigo Chinese Association asking them if they would like to participate. The reaction was immediate and very eager. 
While things weren't overly bad, considering, Australian Chinese really weren't considered part of the general community, meaning that this request was huge, and not only for the residents of Bendigo. People came from all over the state to participate, and over £700 was raised and sent to Canton with the message that they were to send back the very best examples of Chinese crafts. Hundreds of boxes were returned, containing finely embroidered costumes, beautiful banners, flags and fans, intricately shaped ironwork, all to be presented for the first Bendigo Easter Fair, as it was then known. Now, this was the first time Chinese culture had been on display for the general public in such a quaint country town setting, and people were actively encouraged to come up, interact and learn. It was considered a major success, with many of the newspapers noting that the Chinese section was by far the highlight of the fair, and it established them as mainstays for the festival from then on. And uh, in a side note, these beautiful artefacts are now on display at the Golden Dragon Museum, which is considered to have the finest collection of late 1800s Chinese costumes and crafts in the entire world. By 1892, the festival had been going for 21 years, with the Chinese aspect now well integrated. But many Chinese Australians knew that something was missing. They had everything, except a dragon. Now, it couldn't just be any dragon. He had to be an imperial dragon. Funds were raised and an artist commissioned in the city of Fat Shan near Canton in China, and it took over a year for the dragon to be constructed and then months to have it shipped down. He was made of silk, mirrors, bamboo and paper mache and measured up to 60 metres in length. And he was given the simple name of Gum Lung, Cantonese for Golden Dragon. Now, non-Chinese folks of the town, however comfortable they'd become, weren't exactly ready for this. With firecrackers popping out erratically in the front of the procession, drums rapping out rhythmically, and gongs ringing across town to announce his arrival, Gum Lung danced his way down the streets of Bendigo for the first time. And I've seen the photographs. He scared people. <laughs> They'd never seen anything like this before, okay? And coming from a fairly sheltered Anglo-Saxon background, the reporters of the day simply said that this year, the Chinese contingent of the festival had brought a monster. But as bewildered as they were, they were also enchanted. There was a fire, an energy that was undeniable, and that monster, that dragon, would become a well-loved fixture in Bendigo to this day. Over time, his name was shortened, and he was simply known as Lung, the dragon. From then on, Lung awoke once a year, every year for the festival, and was adored and respected by all. It was such a privilege to be one of those carrying him that people would actually pay for the chance, with all the proceeds going to charity, of course. He was even invited down to Melbourne in 1901 for the National Parade to mark the opening of Australia's first federal parliament. Another side note, it was this very parliament who, a few months later, as the very first law they ever enacted, pushed through the White Australia policy, which is as horribly racist as it sounds and specifically made to keep the Chinese out of Australia. I 
don't know what these people were thinking. The ones that would eventually write that law as they were looking down at Lung and planning how to keep him and everyone that supported him or celebrated him out of the country. What a bunch of absolute bastards. And you can't just say, oh, that's just how it was back then, because Bendigo was proving that no, it really wasn't. Anyway, Lung came out every year, like clockwork from then on, but nothing lasts forever, and in 1969 it was announced that Lung would be put to rest and a younger, more vibrant dragon would replace him. Once again, a committee was formed to raise money and to go overseas to find a traditional dragon maker who would create another dragon for Bendigo. But this time, they had a special request. In a way, a very Aussie request. Make it big. Now, this was going to be tricky, as Bendigo wanted a dragon that, while still being his own self, would keep to the original design of Lung, who by now was a very old, outdated version of a dancing dragon. Luckily, a craftsman called Lo Onki was up to the challenge and was hired to make the longest imperial dragon in the world, and he certainly delivered. The new dragon now had 6,000 silk and paper mache scales, 30,000 beads, 90,000 mirrors, and his head weighed 29 kilograms. And he was long, 100 meters long. It takes 52 people to carry him. To this day, Sun Lung is the longest imperial dragon in the world in regular use. Other dragons have been made which are much longer, but they were all for one-off events. Sun Lun, he comes out every year. He arrived in Melbourne in 1970, where the Bendigo Dancing Lions, the protectors of the dragons, were awaiting for him on the tarmac to properly welcome him and accompany him back to Bendigo as their duty dictates. Before his first appearance, he was blessed and brought to life by the 101-year-old James Liu, who dotted the new dragon's eyes with chicken blood and announced his name, Sun Lung, or New Dragon. Lung and Sun Lung both danced around Bendigo for the 1970 festival as the torch was passed on. Lun then went to sleep and remains at slumber to this day in the Golden Dragon Museum. Lun is the oldest imperial dragon in the world and in 2008, the Victorian Heritage Council listed Lung on the Victorian Heritage Register. Sun Lung has kept his legacy going, but unlike Lung, he's now joined by a whole host of other dragons, the most unusual being Ya Lung, the night dragon whose delicate glass head is designed to be lit up from the inside by candles for nighttime dancing. The first records of Ya Lung appear in Bendigo in uh, 1937, but it was only in 1990 that he was rediscovered after being hid away in some boxes for about 60 years. We don't actually know where he came from, who made him, or when exactly he even arrived. But we can guess at why he's been stuffed in a box and forgotten about. He's meant to be lit up by candles, right? Well, when he was discovered, he was pretty badly burned and it took nearly a year to repair him. I can kind of imagine people mucking up about a century ago and just deciding to hide that away. 
Now, we don't need to worry about candles anymore. We have electronic lights that are used, and Ya Lung made his reappearance back in the festival in 1996. Then there's Gansu Lung, a gift from the province of Gansu in Bendigo sister city of Tianxu, which first appeared in 1992 and is brought out a lot more often than the other dragons for other festivals and events, not just Easter. In 2001, the male and female dragons, Ming and Ping Lung, the bright and peaceful dragons, made their debut after being given to Bendigo as a gift to mark the millennium by Beijing, with Ping being the first female dragon at the festival. And they were soon joined by their baby, Zhao Li Lung, the happy little dragon who, as the name suggests, is designed to be more hands-on for inquiring little kitties, and is regularly brought out for school events and summer workshops. He's also the smallest, needing only nine carriers. And finally, Choi Lung, the newest dragon. That pretty much brings things full circle, as he was also created in Fat Shan, just like the original Lung. He arrived in 2007, with Choi Lung meaning colourful and competitive, and is believed to bring luck and prosperity to the people of Bendigo. Choi Lung is androgynous, and so can be carried by men and women, and is also a lovely example of how tradition can be met with science sometimes. He's designed to glow under a black light, making him the second night dragon that now accompanies the older Yalung during the torchlight procession. Now, not everything has been smooth sailing, but the problem isn't what you might be thinking. Unless you're from Sydney and you think the problem is Melbourne. In that case, you would be right. Now, Bendigo had been happily boasting that Sun Lung was the longest dragon in the world for about 10 years, when in 1980, the city of Melbourne decided to one-up them and make a dragon even longer, naming it Melbourne's Dai Lung, which literally means Melbourne's Big Dragon. Well, the people of Bendigo definitely took this as a challenge and immediately began to raise funds to get the materials to make Sun Lung longer. Having easily reached $30,000, they not only managed to get the original craftsman Lo Ong Ki to extend the dragon, but also had enough money left over to buy a whole slew of Chinese regalia to add to their already impressive collection. And to ensure that this never happened again, the exact length of Sun Lung is now a closely guarded secret, so Melbourne can't make a longer one even if they try. It also allows for the smart-alecky answer to the question, how long is your dragon? longer than yours. There's no bad blood between the cities, mostly just a point of pride. The Bendigo advertiser quite cheekily summed it up by printing this headline, that's not a dragon, this is a dragon. But I do like this quote from Russell Jack, the founder of the Golden Dragon Museum. There's dragons everywhere. You go down to Melbourne even, and you say down there to anyone, has Melbourne got a dragon? And they'll say, yes, Melbourne's got a dragon. But you ask anyone in Bendigo and you know what they say? We have a dragon. We have several dragons. But now, Sun Lung is 47 years old and his age is beginning to show. In 2008, it was announced that in 10 years, Sun Lung would finally be retired, just like Lung before him, with 2018 set to be his last dance. And yes, it's all happening again. They're getting a new dragon. 
Funds are being raised, doors are being knocked, delegates from Bendigo now have the luxury of travelling to China and finding the very best craftspeople to hire to design the world's longest imperial dragon. Again. We don't know yet what he will look like, and we won't know until he's awoken next year for the festival. But we do have a name, and that just might be giving us a hint. He's going to be called Daigum Lung, for the town Daigum San. Daigum San, Big Gold Mountain. Daigum Lung, Big Gold Dragon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.